0: Welcome to the Brownstein-Hyatt-Farber-Schreck podcast series. Brownstein policy directors Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Mayer bring their broad knowledge of congressional issues from both sides of the aisle together for a discussion moderated by strategic advisor Mark Begich that includes the possibility of a tax reform fix-it bill, the recent decision by the Supreme Court not to review DACA, the impact of the ongoing Russia special investigation, and how the deficit could play out in the 2018 midterm elections. Welcome to another Brownstein Podcast. Today, we are here with Elizabeth and Elizabeth. It's our show uh, that we love to talk about policy, so we have Elizabeth Gore, policy director, serves as chair of the Brownstein's Government Relations Department. Elizabeth previously served as chief of staff to Senator Byron Dorgan as a special assistant in the Clinton White House and the House Committee on Budget. Having over 20 years of experience in democratic politics and advocacy, Elizabeth provides clients with insight on legislative and regulatory outlook for a variety of public policy topics, including energy, and technology issues. Along with Elizabeth Gore, we have Elizabeth Mayer, policy director, is well-trusted policy and political advisor at Brownstein. Elizabeth worked more than 10 years as legislative director to U.S. Senator John Kyle. She now focuses her efforts and expertise on advising Brownstein clients about numerous legislative and regulatory issues and use her expertise to advance clients' priorities. So The tax bill is all done, despite some complications they now are realizing that may not be able to be implemented, and they got to come back with a fix-it bill. So I want to just mention that, because I want to talk a little about that, about will Democrats allow the fix-it bill to take care of the problems with that as people work on their taxes? Elizabeth Gore, first on the tax bill, and then you can comment on other items, are Democrats going to allow a fix-it bill on a bill they did not like?
1: Right, well let just focusing on the tax bill. The Democrats were not a part of the development of that bill. All of the efforts that Democrats made to reach across the aisle to try and cooperate with the majority party and with the White House on developing a tax bill were were rebuffed. So listen, this is a, a bill that only Republicans voted for. The errors are completely owned by Republicans. And it's hard to see Democrats coming to the table and saying, oh, gee, let us bail you out of this problem. Let us help you pass a bill to fix the errors that you introduced because you rushed through a a major tax bill with no input from our side. Now, I think part of it is we still have to see what all these mistakes are. They are piling up one after another. And you may hit critical mass where um, there can be some bipartisan support for making some amendments here and and making some adjustments, but I think where we sit right now is that Democrats have have little incentive to to help solve a problem that Republicans have caused.
0: Elizabeth Mayor, what do you, what do you think? I mean, it's it's a bill that got rushed. People are you know doing tax planning now because they're doing their taxes from last year, but they're thinking about this year and how this bill will impact them. Is there a hope to fix any of this, or is it just going to be they're going to have to deal with it?
2: Yeah, um, I don't know is the answer, Um, and I don't don't know what the actual legislative fixes are. I know that there is the issue, uh, the farm co-op issue. Um, that has to be fixed. I don't know when that will happen. Um, I know there is some talk about, amongst some Republicans, that um, they would like to return some of the regulatory final decision-making authority to OMB versus Treasury. Democrats aren't really reacting well to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, at the end of the day, um, people are saying that Treasury is moving to try to get through these Initial notices and then um, more beefy regulations on the tax bill um, at a pretty good clip. Mm-hmm. It remains to be seen what the legislative fixes are. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe. I think it's probably not in the Democrats' best interest politically to uh, work with Republicans before the elections on on fixes. I, you know, the only thing I would say about the non-input, and I agree with Elizabeth. That, I mean, I don't think that there was a lot of input. Although I did hear that there were back-channel inputs from some Democrats, like Wyden and others, at least attempts during the debate. But you know, it it happens this way. I mean, during the ACA, there really was no input from Republicans. And I remember that my old boss, in fact, during the markup in the Finance Committee of the ACA, um, when offering a number of amendments or trying to speak. Um, would get cut off by the chairman of the committee. Um, Republicans were getting cut off in mid-sentence. Mm-hmm. So it kind of tends to be those folks who are uh, in the majority party tend to sometimes, when they're working on super big pieces of legislation, that they have to get through not to work with the other side. I would that hope
0: seems to be a new phenomenon, not necessarily. When I say new, the last eight years or so, decade, And is there, I guess on this one, when you think about it, is it uh, if you're the consumer, you know, who's the benefactor or not the benefactor of the tax bill, should Congress do something on this or just kind of just business as usual and wait for elections to get done? And then maybe in November, December, there's some bill that people rush around in. Is that kind of the MO that we think we have in Congress these days?
2: Well, I just think that... as to be specific about the tax bill, we don't know what the fixes are yet. Really, that are needed. I will say that the report's back, and this is not a huge chunk of money. But if someone is making an average of, you know, sixty-five to seventy-five thousand dollars a year, um, they are seeing an average of, um, you know, three hundred to three hundred and fifty dollars per pay cycle increase. That's probably per month mm-hmm. um, in their in their paycheck. You know, I'm I'm not saying that that's fantastic, but I, I think that because some people weren't expecting it, that um, that there are a lot of people across the country who are supportive of the Tax Act as it mm-hmm. exists now. So that might bring some Democrats around to wanting to kind of fix it and tweak it, and at the end of the day, maybe after the election, make it better.
0: I think there is, and I'll turn to Elizabeth Gore on this just to comment on the tax, and we'll move to a couple other issues, and that is... I mean there is clearly popularity growing maybe people are receiving the benefit or not the perception is they're receiving a benefit and so it doesn't matter if you go to I was in uh, talking to some folks from West Virginia where now the tax popularity is closing in on 60% you go to other states and it's all moving in a popular positive direction is that a uh, a challenge for Democrats, at the end of the day, that will they have to kind of look at some of these fixes and say, we got to do something to get a score on the card? Or do they just say, there's something we need to deal with later on this? What's the thinking there? And I know it's a con- it's a great debate among Democrats right now about how to manage this.
1: Well, I think you've raised two separate issues. One issue is the growing popularity of the tax bill. And what does that do politically for Democrats? I think that Democrats need to be clear about the broader picture. Uh, Elizabeth Mayer mentioned the $350 that a middle-income worker is seeing in additional benefits to their um, paycheck every month. And that is real, and and people respond to that. I think they decided that Warren Buffett was getting $122,000 extra every day from the tax bill. I want that. I know. I (laughs) I agree. We all want that. And so, um, I I think when you look at this and say that the impact of this tax proposal is that it's overheating the economy, it's raising interest rates, it is creating um, economic overheating, inflation issues are, are growing. Part of what Democrats need to do is is try and make sure that people understand the larger picture and um, the $350 benefit that you get in your... Paycheck is going to be overwhelmed by some of the economic problems that are being introduced by this particular policy. So, I think that's one set of issues, which is, as I said, how do you respond politically to the growing popularity of the tax proposal? I think the second issue is how do Democrats respond? To mistakes that Republicans made when they drafted this bill in haste, and what is their responsibility to trying to fix those problems. Now, if the bill is popular, I, you know, th- then I, I, I'm not sure that that creates a lot of pressure to make changes to it. And if this is a wholly owned piece of legislation by the Republican Party, Again, as I mentioned, I don't see that there's a lot of a responsibility that Democrats feel that they have to go in and assist with the, with the fixing of it. Elizabeth Mayer talked about the ACA, which is a great parallel. Now, the difference is that Democrats reached out to Republicans for more than a year to try and get cooperation and couldn't get cooperation from the Republican side of the aisle. They spent 18 months or almost two years working on the health care reform bill not a week and a half like they did on the tax bill. And so, I think that there are pretty big differences, but there are corollaries, too. There were changes that everybody agreed to should happen, changes that both sides of the aisle thought would improve the law, and Republicans said, we're not going to help you fix it. And so, I I think that um, you asked, is this business as usual? You are exactly right, Mark. This is uh, the way that the policies have evolved over the last 10 years. There's less cooperation on the front end, and there's been less cooperation on the back end, and I think that's where we stand right now on the tax bill.
0: Let me say this. We could talk about the tax bill a lot, but I would say this, and you both probably will agree to this. For many of the people we work with, clients that come in and concerned about the tax bill, there's no question that even though it's passed, work is not done. And we have people who are contacting us to say, "Well, how does this get implemented?" and wanting us to work on that to ensure that how they thought it was going to be implemented is implemented in the right direction. So we have people, Elizabeth Mayer, that and clients that I know. You know, some might think, "Well, it's passed, so I guess we're done. Life goes on." But in reality, we have clients who are on and watching and want to know how to make it through that maze. Is that a is that fair No I think that's
2: that, I think that's very fair um, and I believe um, that the business end of the tax bill was very complicated. Um, we all worked on it and in some ways not everything is equal all the time it was arbitrary the cuts that were effectuated for certain kinds of businesses over others. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that clients and other business entities are going to be working through the complications and the complexity of the bill for a long time. I will say a number of clients of ours have uh, gotten the opportunity to go into Treasury and to meet with officials about how they might Uh, Be working on regulations and rules.
0: The implementation of it. The
2: implementation of it, and have felt very positive coming out from those meetings that they're serious, they want to do it right, and there are opportunities, even if you can't affect a regulation, to get what's called a private letter. um, Private letter ruling. Private letter ruling Mm -hmm. from the Treasury Department that clarifies something um, that is just not. Um not getting clarified in a proposed rule or an IRS notice. So I think it's going to be a long time. It is a really complicated act that got enacted. I will say in response to, you know, the assertions that it was drafted in a week, um, that you know, there have been drafts and drafts and drafts over years, five years. There was the camp draft. Um, there was the Ryan draft. And then over time, you know, it, it funneled down to what eventually passed. But it's complex, and mistakes, obviously, when you're trying to pass something, nobody is perfect, um, are going to have to get worked on.
0: Well, let's leave taxes there and move into um, DACA. Is that Supreme Court ruled, uh, or not ruled? They didn't take up a case. So the deadline that the, the president said, member, a deadline says we want this done. I think it was March 5th, and now. Is the pressure off? Is it all done and everyone goes back and says, don't have to worry about it, Elizabeth Mayer? What's the what's the prognos you know, what, what are people saying about this right now in the halls of Congress? Yeah,
2: well, I'd be interested to get Elizabeth Gore's reaction, um, you know, because she's of the other party to sort of see what folks are saying on the Democratic side. But I think there is going to be um, a little bit of um, sort of sitting back on the Republican side and saying, well, we should wait to see eventually how this ruling ends up going. Mm-hmm. Um, the Supreme Court um refused to take it up. Um I will say that for those groups that are really working on a practical level to help individuals who Are in status, but are close to losing their status. And we have clients
0: that are concerned about this.
2: Yeah, we do. Um, That their worry is that, um, you know, as time goes on and the Department of Homeland Security wasn't planning for a wholesale re upping of um, the, the renewals for everybody in the DACA class. That it's going to take a long time and people are going to fall out of status in between the time that their um, employment authorization um, expires Mm. and when it gets renewed. And um, because of that, um, people still are really desperately looking to try to uh, resolve this issue and get something done.
0: What do you think, Elizabeth? Anything that that are Democrats in a pause to kind of rethink the strategy here?
1: I think Democrats are extremely disappointed that they weren't able to move this issue forward, the present creative... It seemed like it
0: was moving. It it felt like there was like possibility.
1: Absolutely. I think that there was a bipartisan agreement. The administration, which created an artificial deadline in March, um, torpedoed the efforts to um, have a bipartisan bill. It's super frustrating for Democrats when the president says, Hey, if you guys can come up with a package that has support on both sides of the aisle, I'll, support, I'll, I'll sign it. And then when Um, Members of the Senate do exactly that. They come up with a broad bipartisan bill. Uh, The President comes out against it in a way that ensures that it's not going to get enough votes to to move forward. So, um, I think that everyone was taken a little bit aback by the shifting position of the President. Um, He seems a little confused about what his own position is, and that makes it really hard to strike a deal. And so, I think that Democrats are trying to figure out a way to move forward, but um, this is a problem that was created and is now um, really the responsibility of the president because he, as I said, created the problem and then undermined efforts to solve it. So, there's a lot of frustration and, and, and concern on the part of the Democratic Party. I think the path forward is pretty unclear right now.
0: Let me shift to... Um is this gonna have the issue I'm gonna bring up next, is this gonna have an impact and will will we Congress kinda of go into a freeze pattern and, and on two issues. First one I wanna talk about is the Russia investigation. Is this gonna you know, it seems like there's stuff coming around the edges, it's still not clear. I have to give credit to the special prosecutor. I mean he's very, I don't think he's done an interview ever. I can't ever. right? Mueller has, I don't think said anything to anybody, which I think is an amazing situation, but it seems like there's a couple indictments now, a, a plead on one that tells me that maybe that person's got a deal, but what, what's the sense, Elizabeth Gore, it seems like there's something about, it's like a, you know, spring is spring flowers, but maybe spring is spring indictments. <laughs> you know, what? what's about the Feels like something's about to happen, but maybe it's they're done, right? They're wrap it up, go away.
1: Well, let me um, comment on Robert Mueller. I agree with you. This is a guy with impeccable integrity. And both sides s- agree. Very strong reputation. He's a decorated war hero and somebody who has exactly the right temperament and background. He's been very methodical in his investigation, and he's well respected. I, I, I give him a lot of credit, and I think he has a lot of credibility in his investigation. Uh, So far that his investigation has resulted in 100 criminal charges against 19 people. There have been five guilty pleas, including three from the very inner circle of the Trump campaign and transition. That's Flynn, Papadopoulos, and Gates. And I think a lot of this really does reflect on the type of person that the president surrounds himself with. People have been charged with conspiracy, bank fraud, tax evasion, lying to the FBI, lying to investigators. This is the caliber of people that the president has invited in to be in the inner circle of his campaign and then his transition and then his White House. So I don't know where this is headed. I I don't think any of us do, but I think that um, it does seem to me to be gaining some momentum and I think that no matter how this plays out, it really gives should give us all pause about the character of the president and the people that he puts um, in positions of power uh, and leadership in his administration.
0: Elizabeth Mayor, what do you think? Is this going to be, you know, a showstopper at some point in Congress, meaning that everything just kind of stops and the and the business of Congress kind of slows down, or is it just going to be, okay, that's happening, we got to keep doing our work? What do, I mean, it seems, based on what you just, Elizabeth Gore just laid out, it seems like there's going to be, that's just the beginning. Is there more to this equation?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I think that the, the special um, investigation is going to reap uh, a lot more fruit than um, necessarily uh, the congressional investigations might. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have folks like Hope Hicks uh, testifying and others, but really the, the um, investigative priorities of the investigation, of the special investigation, I think are going to be a lot more telling than the congressional investigations. Having said that, I mean, I can't disagree about um, some of what Elizabeth Gore mentioned as far as the charges are concerned, and I've read numerous articles about Gates and Manafort, and given our line of work, what we do, it's particularly disturbing to me to read um, just the outright lies that were entered into um, with respect to bank fraud and tax evasion of these two individuals, all in the vein of professionally representing individuals and their interests um, in the United States. It's, It's highly disturbing. Having said that, I just don't know that there is a, a link that goes back to the president on this, in any way. Um, now you could, if I was playing devil's advocate, you could say you have Manafort. Now, granted, he was fired after five months, mm-hmm. um, but you had Manafort and Gates who were, you know, doing their own thing with pro-Russian. Quote, clients prior to Manafort working on the campaign. You had Papadopoulos, and then uh, you had um, Carter Page, who by some individual's accounts wasn't terribly proficient in anything that he was working on, and is kind of a straw man mm-hmm. um, because his influence was not necessarily so great. However, he has been linked for a length of time back to the Russians. So you have all of these individuals who were somehow sort of affiliated with the Russians. And the question is, did that seep into what the president actually knows or his closest advisors actually mm-hmm. knew and what did they tell him? And I don't know the answer to that. I think it really remains to be seen.
0: Right, I think that's the that's the question, right? And that's the, the, the investigation will unveil at some point What level, and then depending on how that is unveiled, could cause uh, this might be too strong of a word if it's directly linking up to the White House and in the White House deep, it creates chaos, in the sense of legislative policy ability, because this town operates on a Monday through Thursday schedule at best, with every six weeks, a week to 10 days gone, and then uh, campaign season. And so the time gets constrained. And... DC is DC. We like the intrigue sometimes more than the policy, right? And that combo is a dangerous combo. So it's going to be interesting to see. Let me end on a couple quick ones. Deficit is growing. CBO and others are now predicting it could be trillion dollars a year. That's almost triple what it was. In the last year of the Obama administration, from the last year of the Obama administration. Interest rates are on the rise. Inflation is on the rise. You don't see any more zero auto loans anymore. At least I don't see them, zero interest, you know, it's now 1.9 or 2.9. So there's a there's movement in the market, possibly, and I read an article today in Wall Street about is there a recession on the horizon? People I think would argue no, we're growing the economy, it's moving fast. But for Congress, and especially and I'll start with Elizabeth Mayer on this we have a group of House members, Freedom Caucus, that are deficit hawks, hard deficit hawks. And will they take a pass on this election cycle and not push this issue, or will this be too much for them to stomach in the sense of a - I mean, a trillion-dollar annual? Deficit is significant, and uh, what do you think they're going to do? I mean, this is because that's a group as with Ryan who could cause him a lot of misery. Yeah.
2: In short, since I know we're running short on time, I will say I think they're probably going to take a pass through Mm -hmm. this election cycle. I will say that a number of them won't vote for, you know, the any omnibus based on the uptick in spending levels. Just to make a point, Mm -hmm. but I don't really know what they can do between now and the election.
0: To make to, to have a it. voice
2: on this issue. I mean, I, I just think that not again to sound cynical, but it depending who has been in the majority for the longest, um, the minority party always seems to care about deficits more than the other side, <laughs> and it's disturbing um, to me. Um, you know, Republicans when they were in so the minority, really it's
0: minority members that care about deficit. And you might be right because it is it's a weird switch. Yeah. You know? It's a good so, cause point. Because a
2: lot of Democrats, right now, newly to me anyway, it seems, are very Devisate concerned. They are deficit at Hawk. So, mm-hmm.
0: so what, we'll see. What do you think, Elizabeth Gore? Do you think Democrats will make this an issue? Will they? Because uh, I do know the one thing that I always recognize in Congress is the great compromiser is everyone agrees to spend money. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to say that. I mean, both sides. If you spend money, you solve problems, it's bipartisan. What do you think is going to happen here? Well,
1: first of all, I would disagree with the premise that the Freedom Caucus represents deficit hawks. This is a group that almost universally voted for a huge tax cut that primarily benefits the wealthy, that had little need from, from the economic perspective, were already at full employment. There was no um, way that this needed was needed to stimulate the economy, and it wasn't. It wasn't paid for, so that it has created all of these issues that you mentioned, including um, rising interest rates and rising inflation, which is very problematic to the economy as a whole. So, I, I don't buy this idea that the Freedom Caucus represents uh, deficit hawks. That's just isn't the way that they have voted. So, um, that is one point I would make. I think the other point that I would make is I also disagree with this idea that uh, the party out of power is the one that is most focused on restraining the deficit. Um, Bill Clinton was president and he had a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate and he passed a major bill that actually put the federal government in surplus for the very first time in decades. And we've never done it since. So, Democrats have a much stronger record on this than Republicans do. Republicans have consistently voted for huge unpaid-for tax cuts. They, as I said, primarily benefit the upper 1% of Americans. It's had all kinds of effects, including increasing income inequality, as well as the economic impacts that we've talked about. So uh, I disagree with this idea that it's just the uh, party out of power that cares about deficits. I, I think that Democrats have a much stronger track record on this over the years, and um, and, and for some reason they don't seem to get credit for that.
0: Elizabeth Mayor, anything you want to add to that? Or do you want to uh, let me go to kind of closing question here, and that is just the broad sense. Do you think that the general voters this cycle are going to look at the policies that Congress is working on, or are we going to be an election process that's more about the personalities and the hype of the moment? And I ask that only because you know we spend a lot of time with our clients talking about their issues or their policy or what they're trying to implement, and we spend a lot of time on that. But we also spend time helping them understand the individuals that they're going to go talk to. May they be regulators or elected officials, because there's this kind of combo. If you don't understand the person, you'll never be able to talk about the policy. But do the do you think the voters at the end of the day, we talk about policy all the time, do you think this is going to be what drives them to the elections? Or is it just going to be once the elections all start, whatever is that week and that moment, and the personalities of these elected officials. What do you What do you think? And the reason I ask this is because I think it's, it helps us when you think about the issues we talk about with policymakers how to deal with it too. Elizabeth Warren.
1: I think results matter. I think policy matters. I think on the margins, personality is a factor. Mm-hmm. But my view is. The reason that Democrats are favored going into these uh, elections in November is because people disagree with the policies the administration in particular has been pushing. And the Democratic Party is much more aligned with the American electorate in Polls terms of pr- in yeah. terms of priorities on the policy side. And that's why they're going to be uh, successful in November, and th- that's why they're up in m- most of the um, polling that you see now. It's all about the policies.
0: Elizabeth Mayer? Uh,
2: I agree the polls are, are reading that way, but I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't know, I just wouldn't count your chickens before they're hatched um, because I uh, was amazed, I'm just going to say it outright, watching President Trump's talk at CPAC last week mm-hmm. and how energized People still seem to be about him. Seems like
0: it's still a campaign. Yeah, they were highly motivated.
2: And so I want it to be about policy. Um, and I think you know it does look like there is a good chance that uh, something in the House might happen. The, there are a lot of re- Republican retirements for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there are a number of Democrats who might lose in the Senate um, and, a, and a number who might, you know, save their seats. But it, I just think it remains to be seen. But I just wonder, and I think we'll know in November, although we'll end up an- overanalyzing it after the fact anyway. <laughs>
0: That's what we do. <laughs>
2: what uh, what that mentality is right now of the people who are most likely to vote mm-hmm. and this very vocal minority uh, in in the Republican Party um, of folks who um, are still very committed to Donald Trump one way or another, and how is that going to flow down to
0: votes in the general election? Mm -hmm. And I just really do not know. it's going to be interesting. As always, uh, talking a little bit about policy here, it tells me that the clients we're working with today and ones we hope to work with in the future, policy still matters, but how you manage it and where you go, makes a difference. And one thing we pride ourselves on, we're a bipartisan uh, firm that never looks at the issue, only in the Republican-Democratic stovepipe. We look at it from the client's perspective and how to solve this problem. Again, thank you both for being here, the Elizabeth Elizabeth Show. It's a regular for Brownstein, and we appreciate both of you being here and talking a little policy and having a little uh, edge on both ends on subject matter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.